I'd also like to uh, welcome you guys this morning to uh, not just our church today and uh, just a time where we get to have fellowship with each other and uh, sing together and be reminded of God's truth, but also um, welcome to a new week that God has given you. Um, uh, I say it quite often, I love that this has been God's design for his people to gather, to start off our week, to just kind of set our compass to our true north uh, every single week as we uh, um, finish off uh, a previous week and head into a new week. Uh, I love that this is God's design for us, is to be together, uh, to uh, praise him, to enjoy him, to enjoy each other uh, and encourage one another. Well, I mentioned uh, last week uh, that uh, last week was kind of the end of a previous sermon series, but sort of like the soft beginning of a new sermon series, and today is the official start of this new sermon series. Uh, I mentioned last week that we're going to be looking uh, at it for a few weeks uh, at the various metaphors that the, the Word of God uses to describe His church. Uh, we're going to be asking ourselves this question, what is the church, but not according to what we think the church is or what we see out there, but what is God's Word? How does God's Word actually describe the church? And then from that, we're going to ask ourselves, so if that's what God's picture of the church is, then what does that mean for us as Life Mission Church, but also as individual believers and members of the Church of Jesus Christ, what does that mean for us in our commitment to each other, commitment to a local church, commitment to the Capital C Church? Um, how, how does that change? If we see these different metaphors, how does that change the way we live uh, individually as well as collectively as a family? So we're going to be going in kind of a, a very loose progression. Um, this is not an official biblical progression at all. This is just something I sort of noticed and thought this would be a nice uh, progression for us with these metaphors. Starting today, we're going to be looking at church as a field. Church as a field, a field that needs to be plowed, a field that needs to be cultivated. Uh, then next week, we'll be looking at church as branches that need to abide then in a vine that's been hopefully you know, growing in that field. But then after that, a church as a flock, a flock then that needs to be tended. Once we start growing, like we need to be tended. We need to be cared for. Then a church, hopefully, after we become that flock, then we become this temple, this, this building to inhabit the praises of God. What does it mean for the church to be the temple of God, overflowing and filled with worship? A week after that, we'll look at then the church as a priesthood, now us taking that presence of God that's filling us and now going and ministering, every single one of us, every member ministry, taking that into the world out there. And we're looking then at church as a body. What does it mean for us to live together, work together, be connected one to another? Then church as a family, to dwell in unity. And then finally, the very last one, we'll be looking at the church as a bride, to be made one in unity forever and ever with Jesus Christ. So we'll be looking at that as just a general progression, moving towards that great goal of seeing us be fully unified with Christ forever. But today we start by looking at church as a field. I think most oftentimes when we think about a field in Scripture, we usually think of the harvest, right? Unbelievers out there, look, the harvest is plenty, the workers are few, we need to go out and we need to take in that harvest and that is a field in the word, but the word also uses this metaphor of a field for 
us as believers, uh, the church. So it's not just a metaphor for salvation. That is one that Jesus uses as a harvest metaphor, but he also uses, the word also uses this as the church in need of growth, maturity. We need, we need change. And so we are God's fields. And so in today's sermon specifically, but also many others in the next few weeks, these are really going to be for, for any of you here that are desiring greater depth in your relationship with the Lord. You're, you're wanting more. You feel like there's something missing, and you, you want more. You, you want Christ to be so real and, and deeply personal in your life, not just a, a guy you like his teachings or uh, some power in the sky that you try to follow or just a, a religion or just a set of rules. Like you, you want something so real and so powerful and life-changing. That's what today's about. That's what the next week's about. And that's what hopefully every sermon's about. <laughs> but specifically, we're gonna be looking at us as a family, as people. If we want real change, depth of soul, that's what these are going to be about because that kind of growth in Christ being having having life in the spirit being staying in step with the spirit of God that kind of growth that that deep joy of the Lord that enjoyment of him it, it's elusive <laughs> I mean you sometimes feel like you get glimpses and then the next day you're back to your old stuff and you go I just I want to just walk in that consistently but it's elusive and church Check this out. It is not guaranteed in your life. Right? If you're, if you're saved, if you're born again, your future's good, you're going to get to the other side, that's guaranteed. But enjoying it now in this life, not guaranteed. Not guaranteed. That's what today is about. Because if we want this, we need to know how to go after it and get it. And, and cultivate our life so that we can receive that kind of joy and depth of Christ in our life. So, so maybe for you, if something feels a little missing or a little empty, you, you want it, you just don't know really how, well, the church, and, and even more specific for us, Life Mission Church, specifically as a local body, is to be God's field where he cultivates us, where he pours his rain upon us, and where we see growth, where we see sowing into our lives, watering and tilling, cultivating rich soil that enables and allows that kind of growth to happen. But we don't just sit back and wait for him to do all that work. We don't sit back and wait for the pastors and the community group leaders and other leaders to do all that work. We must prepare our hearts. We must be the ones to till the soil in our own hearts, to get to work, to prepare us for that rain when it comes. That's what it means for us then to be a field. So we're going to look at that today, but first I want to pray. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9 to start off. But let's pray together. Let's ask the Lord for mercy today, because we need his mercy to, to wake us up a bit. To, to motivate us, to challenge us, 
to encourage us, but then also not just to leave it to us, but then to empower us to actually walk this out. Father in heaven, our desire as your people, as your church, is that your name would be glorified, magnified, lifted up above all other names in our life. But for that to happen, we, we need to cultivate the field of our own hearts so that the collective field of this church body is prepared to receive your grace, to, to hear the, the, the leading of the Holy Spirit through your word, to hear a conviction of sin and to believe the promises the truths, the good news, the, the reality of your love for us, uh, that we would comprehend the height and depth and width and breadth of your love. But to, for us to understand that, to, to read words in Scripture and have them make sense, we have, to, we have to till up the ground in our hearts. Otherwise, like rainwater on, on hard, dry ground, it's just going to roll off and just be a flash flood and, and go away. But we want it to go deep inside, so help us as we open your word, that it would be our daily bread today, that it would enliven us, wake us up, somehow just grab our heart in a, in a different way. Lord, I, I know you can do this. I've seen you do this in my life. I've seen you do it in other people's lives. I need it again today. I need it more today. I know many people here want that more. So God, we are asking, we're seeking, we're knocking. We're asking for your mercy today. Open our eyes, the eyes of our understanding, that we behold your beauty and glory today, that we would desire more of it, but then that we would just believe in the power that you're working in us to pursue this relentlessly. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, lead us into truth today, as you always do. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, which he planted. We've already seen this as we've been going through Acts the last year. So later on, he writes a letter to them. He hears about reports that are going on. Apollos took over the, the shepherding and pastoring of the church, and so now he's writing to them. He says, but I, brothers, I couldn't address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you were not ready for it. And even now, you're not ready. You're still of the flesh. And while there's jealousy and strife among you, aren't you of the flesh and behaving only a human way? When one of you says, well, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Aren't you just, you're just acting like humans? What then is Apollos? What, what's Paul? I'll tell you what we are. We're just servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. We're just, we're just nobodies. But only God gives the growth. He who plants and who waters, we're, we're one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. 
Paul planted the Corinthian church and Apollo watered. But now Paul is confronting them because they're, they're rallying around and attracted to the wrong things. They're making the wrong things the most important thing and the thing that they kind of identify themselves as Christians. I follow Paul. I love the way that he, he writes. I follow Paul. He's a much better speaker. He's more eloquent. And so they're, they're kind of finding, they're making these little camps based on their preferences, being attracted to the wrong things. In this case, it was the, the pastors that they prided themselves on being more devoted to rather than rallying themselves around Christ. And so Paul says, you guys are acting like spiritual infants. You guys are being babies. There's an author, his name is uh, Thomas Bolger, uh, Burglar, sorry, Thomas Burglar. He wrote a book called The Juvenilization of the American Church. The title kind of says it all, right? The Juvenilization of the American church. He, he looks at the last few decades where the church has sought to attract people with something else other than Jesus Christ. The church has worked hard the last few decades to gather people and keep people rallying around something that is less than the good news of our salvation. That's what the church has been trying to grab people. This is what I, I call it worshiptainment. Right, you just come and like it's, it's kind of worship. There's 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 music. There's some preaching, whatever. But it's just it's worshiptainment. That's what we're being attracted to. But over time, as the book goes through, the, over time it has produced, by and large, a shallow church. A shallow church, a church that's uncommitted to real maturity and depth. A church that's uncommitted to, to deep growth. A church that's uncommitted to accountability. A church that's uncommitted to commitment. A church that, that pushes back on, on being challenged or confronted. A, a church that isn't prepared to endure hardship, but instead runs when things get hard. And this is not unique to the American church. Oh, yeah, it's the American church, juveniles. And that's, you know, that's a, it's a good book, but the Corinthian church was doing the same thing. This isn't a uniquely American problem. This is a human problem. The Jews wanted an, an earthly king, right? These early disciples wanted a, a man, a pastor to align themselves with. And today we have worship tainment. So this is nothing new. This Corinthian church was producing infants in Christ. They were not mature believers. The author of Hebrews has a similar thing to the Hebrew church. And the author says this, I have a lot to say about this. <laughs> like, I could go on and on about this. It's hard for me to explain since you've become dull of hearing. I mean, talk about insulting here, right? Like, I wish I could explain this to you, but you guys are kind of stupid. <laughs> he says, by this time, you guys should be teachers yourselves. But instead, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You still need milk. He's using the same language as Paul to the Corinthians. You still need milk, not solid food. Everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word uh, of righteousness because he's, he's just a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment. Here's a key phrase for us today. They have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice trained by constant practice not i tried and it didn't work 
oh, I tried. I, I tried to read my Bible. I tried to memorize scripture. I tried to pray. It just didn't work. No, tr- trained. Trained by constant practice so that you can distinguish good from evil. This isn't just instant miracle grow faith. That's the juvenilization of America. That's what we want. We want instant. It's like kids. We want, we want it now, now, now. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Like, like kids. You're not there yet. You're not going to get there until you're in heaven. So let's just keep training ourselves. If you want to grow, if you want to take in solid food, ask, I want you, I want you all, honestly, right now, ask yourself, do I really want to grow deep in my love for Jesus and my faith? Do I want to know him more? Do I want to exalt his name above all other names? Do I want to understand and comprehend the height and depth and width and breadth of his love? Do I want, ask yourself, I'm, I'm serious, ask yourself right now, close your eyes and ask yourself, do I want real change in my life? Do I really want this or do I just say that I want this? Do I want depth of soul? Do I want to behold the face of God when I'm spending time with him, when I'm in prayer, when I'm in his word? Do I want to be before the face of God or do I, am I content just being a Christian? If you really want this, you need to be trained by constant practice, relentless practice and training, purposeful, intentional, not haphazard, not convenient, but purposeful, intentional, and constant. You do not, you will not, you have not drifted towards maturity. You don't drift towards depth of soul. You don't. We drift towards shallowness. We drift towards sin. We drift towards rallying ourselves around other things that are lesser than Jesus Christ. That's what we drift towards. There's a war going on inside of our hearts. Yes, the Holy Spirit's alive inside you, but he's living inside this body of sin. So there's a war. So that brings us then to this this field, this metaphor, this field. In God's word, agricultural metaphors always point to growth or the lack of growth. And a church ought to be a field where, where first a seed, maybe it's an unbeliever or maybe a new believer, but regardless, a, a young, immature, undeveloped seed can turn into a sprout and over time then into, into a sapling, then eventually into a tree, but then into a tree that's bearing fruit for others to enjoy. That, that's what a field should do, where a seed can go through all the stages and grow into a bountiful tree that blesses the world around us. We just heard that in Psalm 67 today. Bless us so we can bless others. That's what we want. Now, it can be easy for a Christian to say, well, if that's the case, then why am I not growing right now? Why am I not growing here in this church? Or sometimes I've heard this, or this it's just not doing it for me. Whatever it's, whether it's church or if it's reading through scripture or if it's trying to, whatever, it's just not doing it for me. It, it's easy to do without thinking about it. It's easy to put all the responsibility of our growth on other people, especially pastors, or maybe rallying around the wrong things, right? Like the Corinthian church. I follow Paul, I follow Paul, right? I'm a John Piper guy, I'm a MacArthur guy. I like old hymns, I like rock and roll. I mean, we just, we rally around anything that isn't Jesus. To be sure, 
the, the church, meaning like the leadership, the pastors, they do have a major role and responsibility in creating opportunities and good teaching and songs that glorify Jesus and providing good soil for us as believers to, to grow in. But the state of the Corinthian church is very telling. Look at their pastors. Pastor Paul and Pastor Apollos. Right? That, I'm going to say it right now. That has a much better ring to it than Pastor Joby and Pastor Tyler. All right? and, and I take no offense at you guys all saying, Amen! Right? So, so these guys had the pastors. I mean, the hall of fame of pastors. They have spiritual giants at pastors, and yet they were spiritual infants. So it, that's not the problem then. They're watering and planting, but yet they're immature. Paul and Apollos were casting seed, watering, providing all the means to cultivate the field. They're probably leading them in, in singing the Psalms, teaching them how to pray. But what pastors can't do is provide increase. They, they can't produce change. They can't actually cause real growth. I frequently tell people when I, when I do some kind of counseling, I'll, I'll tell them, I, I can't fix you, I can't fix your marriage, but I know someone who can, and I want to show you him. I want to introduce you to him. My job is just to point people towards Jesus. Your job is just to point people towards Jesus. Your job is just to point yourself towards Jesus. He's the one who can change you. When we look to, to people, even, even to some degree our own selves, right, to be the solution, we are, as Paul says, we're acting immaturely. Paul and Apollos can only do so much. They're just two members of the body of Christ. But cultivating a field is a community, family, partnership. And that means you have to be involved in this too. You have to be involved in this. Again, look what Paul says. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Paul's like, I'm ready. I'm, I'm planting and watering. Apollos is ready. What's holding you up? You are not ready for it. We're, we're trying hard, we're providing, but, but you're resisting. They were acting immature despite being taught well. Now we get a little bit ahead of ourselves because we're gonna look in the next section, uh, verse nine through 15, where he's talking about more of a building, which we'll see in a few weeks, but it connects. Verse nine, we're God's fellow workers, you're God's field, God's building, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Yet each one, each person, each individual, not each pastor, but each person, take care how he builds upon it. So, so you, Christian, brother, sister, take care how you're building your life right now. Take care. Consider it. Think about it. Think deeply about it. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on that foundation with gold or silver or precious stones or with wood, hay, or straw, so he's saying, however you choose to build your life, to, to cultivate the field, that whatever materials you choose to build your trellis for vine growth, good habits, good patterns, bad habits, bad, whatever you choose to do. He says this in verse 13, each person, each one's work will be made known. It'll be made manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So we need to 
We need to take this serious. How am I building my life? How am I cultivating this field? Because God's going to test it. It's going to be revealed. We're, we're accountable to build, to sow seeds of righteousness into our own lives. What we build, how we build it, God's going to be the one to test that. Now, to be clear, we're not talking about salvation here. Okay, only Jesus Christ can do that. That's what Paul said there. Foundation is Jesus Christ. We're not talking about being saved. You, you can't build your salvation. You can't cultivate your salvation. That is Christ and Christ alone. But Paul's talking about maturity. He's talking about growth. We have to respond to the grace that he has given us, the salvation gift that he's given us. We can't expect others to do it for us. We have to take responsibility in the, the plowing of the field of our own hearts, the tilling and watering of our own hearts. And if we don't, the results are devastating. We will, we will wither on the vine. Uh, like Jeremiah says, we'll be like a shrub in the desert where there's no water. The shrub's still alive, but it's withering. You won't lose your salvation, but you'll be dry. You'll be parched. You'll be empty. You won't provide fruit for yourself or for others because you're not near the water. You're a shrub in the desert. You start to become desensitized to God's word. You, become, you can be bored with, with prayer, distracted in prayer, uncommitted to your church family. We remain shallow in our faith. Because when the rain comes, the soil is so hard, it just goes right off the topsoil. Just floods right off. It doesn't go deep inside you because it's just hardened. You haven't tilled, you haven't plowed. It can't receive the rain. Now, if, if any of you are relating with this, let me just tell you, I'm preaching to myself this morning, okay? I, this life in Christ is up and down and you go way up and you're having this great time and all of a sudden you crash and then you back up. I mean, it's, it's, it's all over the place. What we want for ourselves and for our church is to have a consistent move up and forward, even though sometimes we're gonna back up a little bit, sometimes we're gonna dip a bit. But overall, when we step back and we see that 30,000 foot view, we're going, we're headed in the right direction. Some days we're just really zooming along. Some days we just like, we're, we didn't realize we were driving with the parking brake on, Right? but we just want to be headed in this, this right direction. So I, I, I'm hoping that I, I don't want anyone to be discouraged here. I want us to be encouraged. I want us to be motivated. I want us to be challenged, but not discouraged because this church is why we're here. It's because probably all of us, at least to some degree, we relate to something already today that wasn't the most positive thing in the world. <laughs> That's why we're here. We're not here because we got our act together. We're here because we don't have our act together. That's what it means to be a field. Like we need to be plowed and seeded and watered. We're not, we're not here for worshiptainment. That's not why we're here. We're not here to be giving each other bottles of milk and then just giving you a little pat in the back and then have everything in your life affirmed. And hey, you're doing a great job. Everyone gets their little participation trophy and just go out and have a good day. No, that's not why we're here. We're here because we're desperate people, broken people who need change and transformation. We need life. We need joy. We need peace. We need humility. 
We need passion. We need boldness. We, we are needy people. That's why we're here today. We're here to be God's field, to be tilled and plowed and watered, to grow, to change, to find real life and, and, and real depth, joy in the Lord that carries us through the worst of circumstances and storms. We're here because we need fulfillment and, and deep satisfaction, real satisfaction, real contentment. We're here because we want to know Jesus. That's why we're here. We want to know the, the depth and height of his love for us. And ultimately, we're here because we want to learn how to love him more and become like him. And we're here because we want to do this together. In Hosea, God's speaking to Israel because they're not, they're not listening. They're like the Corinthian church. And so he's challenging them. He says, so for yourselves, Righteousness, you invest in your own life. Do the right things to prepare yourself. And then he says, if you do, he says, reap steadfast love. If we sow righteousness, church, if we, if we put our hand to the plow, we will reap God's steadfast love. We'll reap love for God and love for others. He says, break up your fallow ground. Fallow is, is untended ground. It's just been abandoned. It hasn't been worked over. It's just dried up. Break it up. Plow underneath it. Expose the underneath. So now you're opening up the ground because, he says, it is time to seek the Lord. Church, it is time to seek the Lord. No excuses. No laziness. No, I tried. It is time to seek the Lord. And then look what he says, so that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. You open up the ground, you do the hard work of till, just training yourself to so that now, now you're exposed, you're there, you've done this work, and now when God rains down his righteousness, now that rain doesn't run off because that fallow ground has been hardened and caked over, now it goes into you. And it, it germinates that seed. Now that seed turns into a sprout. The sprout is sapling, the sapling a tree. The tree produces fruit. I want you to look in your notes. There's two, two simple little lines. Without God, you can't. You can't do this. Only God produces the increase. Without God, you can't. But without you, he won't. Again, I'm not talking about salvation. He'll save you even against your own will. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> We're talking about growth, sanctification, maturity, growing. Without God, you can't do that on your own. But without you putting your hand to the plow, he won't. And I don't want to overstate that. God will arm wrestle us and beat us to the ground. But my point is, generally speaking, without God, you cannot do this kind of growth in your life. But without you actually taking an active role, he won't do it. Paul says, we seed in water, but only God produces the increase. Only he produces that growth. And we're, we're longing for a growth that we cannot produce, that only God can do. But if we don't prepare the land, if we don't take it serious, if we don't get to work plowing the field of our heart, tearing out weeds, repenting of sin, confessing sin, 
trying to get rid of distractions, fighting distractions, making hard choices in our life, preparing ourselves for that rain, we will not grow. Luke 9, verse 62, Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow but then looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. We put our hand to the plow and we keep going. We plow and we till and we go. Without you putting your hand to the plow, breaking up the hardened ground, sowing seed into your own heart, creating opportunities in your day, training yourself in new habits, creating opportunities in your calendar, in your trellis to receive that rain from the Lord. He can flood you with rain all day long, but if the ground has not been ready, there won't be growth. And here's the thing, spoiler alert, church, he does flood your day all day long with his grace. All day, every day, there is rain from heaven of God's grace and mercy. But are we ready for it? Are, have we postured ourselves and done the work of tilling the ground? Or are we like the Corinthian church where Paul says, you were not ready for it? God is not withholding. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's ours. It's ours for the taking. But are, are we ready? Or are we distracted? Are we just too busy? Are we just waiting for someone else to do it? Are we just waiting for God to zap us and make us holy and righteous and, and joyful? That's laziness. It's laziness. We have to produce the opportunities in our life to receive that grace, to give him thanks, to find him even in the mundane. Here, this is, I, I rarely go off track. I know it seems like I do all the time, but <laughs> uh, I, just, this, I just came to mind though, moms, dads who work tough jobs, long hours, don't see those things as distractions from Jesus. See those as opportunities to find Christ in those things. I, I, what I'm not talking about right now, church, is just trying to find two hours a day just to be alone with Jesus. If you can do that, awesome. What I'm saying is take every opportunity in your life, whatever you do, whether you work or play, eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Find him in the mundane, find him in the repetition, find him in your work, in your exhaustion, in your misery, in your grief, find him. He's raining down all day long, but are we positioning ourselves? Are we just complaining about running around the kids all around town? Or, you know, the boss has this deadline they just dropped on my lap, and right, so are, what, are, what are we doing? What are we doing? Are we ready to receive from the Lord, seeing these as opportunities to look to him, to behold him? The Corinthians weren't ready for it, are we? I know I'm not ready for it many, 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 many times. But I wanna be ready for it. I want this. I want us all to learn how to make ourselves ready for it, to, to have a perspective shift in our minds and our hearts, to train ourselves to be ready to train ourselves when we're in the mundane, to learn to till the ground every day, every opportunity. We don't just sit and wait for God to do the work, magically just make it happen. 
J.I. Packer, he says this, he says, the Christian's motto shouldn't be to let go and let God, but instead it should be trust God and get going. Trust God to provide the increase, but get going, put your hand to the plow. Don't just wait for him to snap his fingers and change your life. Put your hand to the plow. Life Mission Church, being God's field, is about God teaching us, teaching us to partake in our own cultivation, excavating the ground, getting the rocks that are in the ground underneath our hearts that are preventing good root development. We've got to unearth those things, those idols in our hearts that are getting in the way of real deep growth, grading the field, plowing the field, tilling, planting, watering, cultivating, pruning, so that we're ready to receive the rain from above that eventually leads to a full harvest of fruit. That's what I want. I want fruit in my life that blesses the people around me, my family, my friends, our church family, my non-believing friends and family. But church, this, this, is, this is the hard part for us, especially in the modern church, not just in America, but with everything. We, we, don't, we don't farm for our, our food anymore. Right, I remember seeing this, uh, I'm, going off, I'm going off again. It's another second one. I saw this meme once that said, I'm so glad I don't have to hunt for my own food because I don't know where peanut butter and jelly sandwiches grow. <laughs> right, like, um, we, that, this is not our world anymore. Right? We, we, we have fast food restaurants. We have microwaves. Right? What we fail to recognize is all this agricultural metaphor type stuff, this is a reminder that this kind of growth is slow, slow, so slow. You have to stay constant in your practice, going out and pouring water on dirt, coming back the next day and nothing has changed. But you stay faithful and you constantly practice every day. You're pouring water on dirt, you're doing it for weeks and months, you're going, nothing's changing. I tried to grow a tree but I, I tried for two weeks and the tree didn't grow. There's no fruit. Right? That is not how it works. Constant training, pouring water on dirt in faith, knowing that this is what I am supposed to do. I see no fruit. I see no results. I don't get it. I'm bored. But this is what I'm supposed to do. And I believe that this is what I'm supposed to do. So I'm going to stick with it. And I'm gonna do this with other people because I get so bored, I just, I just drop off. So I need other people to help me. I need to do this with people because otherwise I'm just gonna give up because that's how I do. Right, this is slow growth. We need to pay, pray for patience, to not give up. Um, five verses here. I just wanna show you this because I, just, I love these verses when it comes to this about training. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. For at the moment, all discipline, all, all training, it seems painful <laughs> rather than pleasant. But later, not today, not in an hour, not tomorrow, probably, later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been, what is it, church? Trained by it. Praise the Lord. But it seems painful in the moment to discipline yourself to form new habits, to cultivate, to, to stick with it. 
but later it yields the fruit that you're wanting. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, have nothing to do with I follow Paul, I follow Paul, so don't have, forget that stuff. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Notice it doesn't say, wait for God just to make you godly. Train yourself. Now, keep in mind, you can't do it without God, but he's asking you to train yourself, to partner with him. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God would be complete and equipped for every good work. I want that. I want to be equipped for every good work that God has called me to. I want to be ready for it. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, right? It's rained down upon us, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. But the best one, church, the best one. Yes, I'm ranking scripture right now. The best one. Luke chapter 6, verse 40. Jesus says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will do what will be like his teacher. That's the ultimate goal, to be like him, to be transformed, to be like him. But that only happens when we are fully trained. And that training doesn't end in this life. You don't get the trophy once you complete a couple courses, and hey, now you're like Jesus, congratulations. Right, so the training is going to be until the day you go home to be with him. Right, but we continue to train because we, in this life, want to become more and more and more like our teacher. That's the goal, to become like him. I want to become more like Jesus. I want his contentment for life. <laughs> I would love to have his contentment, his inner peace, his joy amidst suffering, his joy amidst abandonment. I want his devotion and his love for his father. The way that he is just so devoted to his father, even to the point of death, I want that kind of devotion. If I train myself in godliness and train underneath my teacher, I can grow in that. I want to enjoy the oneness that he has already purchased for me. I want to enjoy every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places because it's already been purchased for me. I'm just not enjoying them because I'm not ready sometimes. I need to train myself, and I need to commit to it. Now, I want to leave you this morning with some really great news. Every Jewish rabbi at this time had their own way of interpreting Scripture and then modeling how to live that Scripture out. So a lot like today with you know, pastors and teachers that kind of have certain strengths and weaknesses and you know, different ways they interpret scripture or whatever. So every Jewish rabbi had their own way of interpreting scripture, uh, how they would say this is how then we should live out life, and they would teach their insights and their way of life, their way of faith, and they would call that their yoke. So you said, you know, you'd look at, you know, you know, whatever rabbi, you know, Nicodemus, whatever, and say, well, his yoke, he, he has a, a big focus on this, and, he has how, and this is how he says we should live our life. And I, I, really, I, I really like that. I want to follow Nicodemus. I want to I take on his yoke. Right? So you see where I'm going, right? 
They called this their yoke. So a yoke is what an ox would wear when he was paired up with another ox so they could pull a plow in order so that they could till a field. Right? So you'd get yoked up with someone and you would work together to plow this field. And so a teacher would call his way of life and his theology his yoke because it was his set of insights and the way that he saw this is how we should live out our faith and plow the field of life. Who wants to join me? Who wants to join me living life this way according to God's word, however they interpret it? And so a rabbi then would ask someone, they saw someone that's like really listening intently, sitting at their feet, right, following everywhere, and they're saying, would you, do you wanna, you wanna follow me? You wanna be my disciple? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn my way of life. Would you wanna do that? And if the disciple was, was like, Yes, I would love to be the disciple of this, this incredible teacher, this rabbi. Now along comes this rabbi, and his name is Jesus. And he says this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me. Come to me. All you who labor and you're heavy laden, you're overwhelmed, feeling empty, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. You want to get yoked up with me? You want to partner with me? You want to plow this field of life together with me? Take my yoke, my, my interpretation of God's word, because it's, it's my word, just so you know. Live the way I live. Learn my way. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Let me be your teacher. Let me be your mentor. Let me be your friend. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Rest for your souls. Church, I don't know. There's better news out there than that. For my yoke is easy and my burden's light. Let's plow this field. Take my yoke. Let's, let's plow this field with my yoke. And let me, let me tell you something already, church. You and I, we're already carrying a yoke. We already are. It could be the burden of sin, sin from your past, guilt, shame, the yoke of trying to earn God's love, the, the, the yoke of trying to just to change yourself. Make yourself a better person. Maybe it's the yoke of comparing yourself to others or a yoke of trying to please others, living up to their expectations. Or maybe it's a yoke of resentment, a yoke of bitterness, or of, of maybe a yoke of grief or a yoke of legalism, feeling like you're a failure. You're, you're carrying a yoke already. You've partnered up with something out there that has taught you to believe a certain way and to live a certain way and act a certain way. You're responding to life because you've been taught something somewhere by something or someone and you're partnered up with that thing. You're yoked to it. And he says, cast all your cares and burdens and anxieties upon me and take on my yoke. It's light. Take on my yoke. Let's plow this field together. Guess what? I'll do all the heavy lifting, <laughs> right? He's the stronger ox in that partnership right there. 
Let's plow this field together. I, I, I just want you to, to walk alongside me as we live life together. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. That's what he wants. It's just for me to walk alongside him and learn from him, converse with him, plow this field with him, stay close to, he's saying, stay close to me, let my dust kick up on you. Be covered in my dust. Get so close to me that you're carrying my aroma everywhere you go. And if you do this, I will give you rest for your weary soul, your tired, beleaguered soul. But you have to do this with me. You can't do it on your own, and you can't just sit by and watch me. You have to do this with me. Walk with me. So over the next few weeks, as we continue to look at this, these metaphors, God's desire for his church, I, I want all of us just to hopefully just take steps, small steps, baby steps, taking up his yoke, cultivating the field, just throwing a little seed, trying to find ways to water, and then praying and asking God for patience and for perseverance and not give up, but actually train ourselves. And listen, we're all in different places, we're all in different spots, and just, whether it's just your circumstances in life or how long you've known the Lord, whatever. So this is not a comparison game. But I hope that all of us are willing to take up the yoke of Jesus little by little and learn from him step by step. So as a church, as brothers and sisters, we can plow this larger field, Life Mission Church, together under the yoke of Jesus, but together as a family. As I pray, I, I want you to think through even, um, again, not for the sake of comparing, but just, just sort of personal inventory. Um, what area of life, where, where are you feeling belabored or beleaguered, burdened, heavy-hearted? Maybe you're feeling a lot of joy in certain areas, but maybe other areas are not. Uh, think of yourself as a seed or a sprout or a sapling or a tree or a tree with no fruit or a tree or a shrub that's withering. Ask yourself, ask the Lord to help you discern where, where am I at in this? And you might be a, a seed in some things and a, and a fruitful tree in other things. So it's, you know, it's just for your own inventory. Ask the Lord, Lord, where am I at? And how can I, how can I grow? What do I need to do? What areas of my life need to be plowed under or seeded or watered? Ask him to, to show these things to you and then ask him for Faith and perseverance to take one step and pursue it. And ask him for even the faith to tell someone else the step you want to take because the accountability part's huge. Ask them to help you. We're going to cover a lot of that stuff in the next few weeks, so you don't have to figure it all out today. Um, but I want you to be thinking about it. Think about what areas of life can you create more opportunity for the reign of God's righteousness to reign into your heart. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, as we were reminded earlier this morning in Psalm 67 that you bless us so we can bless others, so that we can be a blessing to all the families of the earth, all the people of the earth, to provide fruit and shade for those who are in need. We, we want that. We, we want to be that because that's what you are. So that's our 
ultimate goal is to be more and more conformed into your image, the image of Jesus. But we've been, we've been working this life under a yoke that is not producing fruit. And um, we've been rallying ourselves around lesser things, whether it's, you know, things in the church like Paul or Apollos, or if it's things outside of church, just, you know, hobbies or money or comfort, whatever it is. But we rally, we've been rallying ourselves around lesser things. And we want desperately to have your name be lifted up above everything else in our life. But we know that's not automatic. We can live out all of our days like a shrub in the desert, still saved, still born again, still alive on the inside, but withering on the outside, not producing fruit. And we just, we don't want that. We know it's, it's discipline that is hard in the moment, but we know that if with your help, your empowerment, we can train ourselves for godliness, and in due time, we will yield the fruit of righteousness in our life. Fruit not just for our own selves and our own inner deep peace and joy, but also fruit for others around us, that others would know Jesus Christ through us. But we will not be those effective tr fruit-bearing trees unless we are first cultivating our own hearts, preparing ourselves for the reign of righteousness that only you can provide. So help us, Lord. Uh, convict us, challenge us, but also encourage us. Give us patience. Uh, we don't want to be overwhelmed. We don't want to take on the yoke of, of this kind of pressure to perform and do all the right things. Uh, we we want to just take on that yoke of just spending time with you, being with you, beholding you. And even when we feel like that, that time in the Word or time in prayer was just a wasted time, it didn't, we just never let us be convinced that any time or effort we make to be with you is ever wasted. It is never wasted. It was just part of the training. And we get up and we go again. And we don't give up. So help us, Lord. Help us over these next few weeks to really take these truths in, to have them enliven us, give us a bigger and better picture of what it means to be a church, to be part of a church. Help us, Lord. You're a good, gracious, patient, long-suffering Father. And we love you're at work in us, tilling us, and reigning upon us. Please, Lord, continue in your mercy to do so each and every day. We know you will. You already said you will. We're asking to prepare us for it. Make us ready. Unlike the Corinthians, make us ready for it. So help us, Lord. We ask all these things only by and through the powerful, beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.